The Art Newspaper Podcast is brought to you in association with Bonhams, auctioneers since 1793. To find out more, visit bonhams.com. Hello, it's Ben Luke here. This is a special podcast which marks some very sad news, that the London-based dealer and publisher Carsten Schubert has died aged just 57 after a long illness. In September 2018, we asked the artist Michael Landy to interview Carsten. It was for a special artist issue of the art newspaper at the Freeze Art Fair in London, for which artists wrote all the content. Knowing that Carsten was something of a collector, we wondered if Michael might talk to him for our collector's eye slot. We gave them a list of ten set questions, but, as you'll hear, they went far beyond the script. Before you hear the interview, some background on Carsten Schubert. He was born in Berlin in 1961 and was an instrumental figure in the UK art scene of the 1980s and 1990s, representing several key young British artists. He helped launch the careers of Rachel Whiteread, Michael Landy and Gary Hume, and in later years was particularly associated with Bridget Riley. He also exhibited works by Ed Ruscheh, Carl Andre, Gerhard Richter, Michael Craig Martin and Matt Collishaw, among many others. And at the time of his death, he had a roster of important and often underappreciated artists, including Rose English and Tess Geray. Schubert started his London-based art dealing career at the Listen Gallery in 1983. He launched his own gallery in 1986, opening a space in Charlotte Street Fitzrovia, with a solo exhibition dedicated to Alison Wilding. In 1988, Damien Hirst organised the seminal freeze exhibition of Goldsmith students in London's Docklands. But Schubert had actually already signed up two of those artists before that exhibition, Gary Hume and Michael Landy, based on their degree shows. His small white box gallery in Foley Street, London, was one of the core spaces for the explosion of contemporary art in London after the global recession of 1991 until it closed in 1997. His current space is based in Soho, and the publishing company Riding House, founded in 1995 with another gallerist, Thomas Dane, ran parallel to his dealership, producing often beautifully designed monographs, catalogues and critical commentaries. At the time of his death, Schubert was working towards the exhibition and book Cezanne at the Whitworth, opening at Manchester's Whitworth Gallery at the end of August. It features his collection of Cezanne prints and drawings, which he donated to the Whitworth. In 2015, Schubert was diagnosed with medullary cancer, a rare form of thyroid cancer. After surgery, he moved into a suite at Claridge's in London. Room 225-6, a novel, is his account of the subsequent three-week stay at that Art Deco hotel. This is sheltered accommodation for rich, crazy people, Schubert wrote. I feel safe. He died of cancer on Tuesday the 30th of July. So here's the interview. Michael Landy talking to Carsten Schubert in September 2018. Note that it wasn't intended for a podcast, so please excuse the echoey sound and any bashes and bumps. I've known Carsten for 30 years because this time, roughly this time 30 30 years ago, Carsten came to see my degree show at Goldsmiths in 1988 and he he basically represented me and Gary Hume from from that period onwards. So it's like literally the last day of my degree show and we've known each other ever since, haven't we? It's a scary thought. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, and then, so what happened was we, I saw the degree show, I signed yeah. up you and Gary, yeah. uh, Ian was signed up, Ian Davenport was signed up by Waddington, Yeah. and we did a group show that autumn, just the three of you. That's right, yeah. Gary... Gary had door paintings, Ian had, uh, you know, one of those cascade drip paintings, yeah. and you had two of the blue tarpaulin That's right, yeah. pieces. Yeah, in Charlotte Street. Yeah. And we never looked back. 
Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so, um, yeah. That's how, I mean, literally, that's how we got to, to know each other, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. that was how I remember how your, the floorboards at your gallery. Because I think I came to see your gallery before I met you, even. Oh, you so, checked it out before? Yeah, I checked the floorboards out before. So, you know, very different times then, weren't they? So anyway, so we've known each other ever, 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 ever since. since then, and I've kind of on and off been taking the piss out of you ever since then. Since you're so absolutely fine. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so my first question, I already know this answer as well. <laughs> but my first question is, how old were you and what, when you first started to collect, and what, and what was the first thing you bought? Uh, I must have been about 12 or so. And I started collecting, first I collected coins, uh, then I collected small Roman antiquities, and then I very quickly realized that if you really wanted to get fantastic things, you had to collect contemporary art, because you could afford that. And how old were you then when you worked that out? 14 or so. And where did, where, where did this kind of collecting it came, of come from? It came through my grandmother's uh, side. She lived in a part of Berlin where all the museums were at that point. And we, we, as children, we spent a lot of time in there. So there was a real um, a kind of awareness uh, of objects and you know, objects carrying meaning. And that sort of stayed with me. And then the next step would be, well, you know, it's one thing looking at things in a museum, but it's another having things with you, around you, at home, which is a very different proposition, I think. Yeah, because, I mean, I don't, I don't have that kind of, you know, that kind of uh, possessing bug as far as art is concerned. So it's kind of... Because um, I thought you were going to say... Uh, I was 14 and I bought my, that's when I first when I bought my first Joseph Boys because that's the story you told me so I didn't well, know well it was the first Joseph Boys yeah. but not the first okay I mean that's sort of the beginning of the contemporary thing yeah but in fact you've reverted in some respects like Roman antiquities to the Roman heads and um, you've come I, almost uh, full, full circle well yes and no because um in a way, all the subjects stay with you, so you, you, you sort of follow parallel strands. I mean, I don't think of myself as a collector. I think that's a very, um, that's a very big and very abused word now. Uh, I think I like to think of myself of interested in certain strands of things, and they sort of come up, and then they disappear, and then they... And then really something nice. else. Yeah, so you just carry on in these various strands. There's sort of four or five areas where I seem to um, have concentrated over the years. And then if you look at what's in those groups, you can probably construct um, sort of themes across. You know, like there's a big group of portrait drawings or sculptures for example from antiquity to now or there is um, there's interest in certain artists so you know you just carry on collecting as and when you can get them um, and it all gradually um, over the decades has 
quite slowed down because a lot of things you can't get any longer. So it's because of the expense of them. Well, it's because I mean some of the things are extremely rare, so you can't. You know what what is available is not automatically worth having, and then you um, and then there's the price problem. You know, things certain things are very very expensive, so you can't do that any longer either. But you know, once you have um, you have a lot of things, and I don't have. But you don't have them on show, do you? Well, I was, seen... about to, I was about to yeah. go to that. I and don't like heads. I nothing wrong with those heads, you know. Um, but you, you, you know, you. Um, I like to have very few things around, and then the rest is in storage. So, but what I've discovered over the last ten years or so, it's as good as getting something out of storage after ten years as buying something new. Yeah, because, because you it's seen it and you think and that's quite exciting. About yeah, it as yeah. Well. yeah, yeah. So that's so it's not a collection. It's groups of things that relate to certain um, that are either certain artists, works by specific artists, or that relate across the field. Uh, but it's not, you know. I think collection is a very um, because it changes as well. It's Doesn't changed. It, as you change, it kind of it morphs into different... As you say, I mean, there are probably about five or six different themes, but, but, it, I mean, it, but, you, but you essentially don't change, you know, as far as, you know, you don't... It doesn't change that much. No, it hasn't, it hasn't yeah. changed that much over the decades, that's for sure. Yeah. It stays quite narrow, and, yeah. and that makes it possible. Because otherwise you end up just buying, you know... Things, yeah. I mean, you know, then you enter the territory of shopping, and I, I don't think that was ever what interested me. I'm interested in pursuing things and chasing things, and uh, it used to be a real nightmare because you know you you can do that endlessly, and you just um, endlessly are in debt to people, and you endlessly. Um, you're in debt with people because you put, you bought you put things down and deposit somewhere. Yeah, yeah and then, then you have to. At a certain point, they all they but, actually want to be paid. So <laughs> but really when you but when you put down a deposit, can you take the work away with you then? Usually, you can. Okay. I mean, they know you. You know, they know where you are. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's never that, sounds a bit daunting. It's never that that I didn't pay anyone in the end. But it's it's slowed down, which is nice. You know. Oh, they're collecting, they're collecting. Yeah. Oh, the impulse to go out and, you know... But I bumped into you a couple of weeks ago and you said you just bought a vase. Yeah. Well, that's just a... Well, that's a, like me randomly wandering around central London or Mayfair and a bump. It was a very specific and, thing. Huh? It was a very specific thing. Did what I show what it do you mean? You? What's, what's specific about it? Well, it was something I always wanted, and it was—it happened to be in that shop opposite the restaurant where I had lunch with Ivor Bracker. Oh, and it just caught your eye. Yeah. So there are things that there are a kind of list of things. Well, that there's, you would a, there's like. a kind of mental list you have of what you would probably, uh, where you would go mental, and do something. But that, that you know, because that list doesn't grow, it happens very rarely. Because those things are very—I mean, certain things I collect are very, very hard to come by. Kind of impossible. Like, for instance, what? Well, for example, the, the um, you know, the group of Cezanne drawings and prints I have. I got all his prints, and I got f- six drawings. 
Well, there aren't that many drawings out in the marketplace, and they're usually not worth having. So, you know, you're quite safe there. You know, it's not... Because they never come out. They, they never come, come out. Up. So you don't have the problem, like, you know... So it's a kind of fancy, fancy list. Well, it's in a way a self-limiting like an list. Yeah. list. Yeah, it's an unattainable never... list, yeah. Because how many Suzannes you got at the moment? You just have I got about two, 16. Three. 16? Yeah. But mostly prints. All his prints and okay. then six drawings. Six drawings. So and, and you also own the largest collection of Michael Landy. I also own the largest, largest Michael Landy collection in so the I've world. Got to be ni- I've got to be nice to you. Yeah, you have to be really nice. <laughs> um, oh, don't go too far. <laughs> but, um, and when did you first start collecting my stuff? Well, I think uh, on the way here, I thought about that, and I did buy one of those tarpaulins, and I remember I was Uh-oh. reassured very, very <laughs> clearly that this could be remade no problem, and well, that's, that's we never a, talked about that. Well, I mean, part of the problem there, uh, he says, is, I mean, they stopped making material. That was, you know, we tried to find it, mm-hmm. but the company, what happened was, the company went into liquidation, I managed to get some stock... But of course, then I did breakdown, destroyed them all, and then um, it's never going to happen. And, that, and then, yeah, they just did the material doesn't. I couldn't find exactly the same material because it hangs in a particular way. So that's the first work. Oh, it's yep. a gripe. But uh, um, do you remember the latest work you, you required? The latest work of yours I got was I got one of these signs. Okay. Uh, oh, from uh, Breaking News London. Yes. Do you remember what the sign says? Um, stay out of my vagina. Okay. I think that's that's the one. <laughs> yep. And I bought it in Isn't the Isn't it show like, keep your politics out of my vagina? Keep your politics out of my like vagina, that. it's that one. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. But, um, okay, that's... Yeah, and uh, so... Right, so imagine my art being at South London Art Gallery, right? Yeah. And I've got, I've got all your uh, collection all in boxes, and I'm about just to chuck it all in. Everything. Yeah. And Not I'm just sat- your work, everything. Everything. Oh, no, no, apart from my work, don't be stupid. So, <laughs> and I'm, I'm, I'm going to lob it all in, and yeah. you can't get it back. So what's the one piece of work that you would like to keep? Phew. Um, I think I would like to keep uh, that early Mondrian painting of the tree against the river. I don't know that one. That little one in my bedroom. Okay. You've seen it. Okay. No. Yeah, I would. I would go keep that. B- dive into the bin and say, "Can I have that, please?" If money was no object, what would you, what would your dream purchase be? I think if money was no object, I would I would buy a really really great, great great fully abstract Mondrian painting. Oh, wow, okay. Okay. Okay, I didn't realise you were such a big Mondrian fan. Yes, I am. We should probably... We've learned something about each other after 30 years. (laughs) (laughs) So that would be that, yes. Yeah, yeah, okay. Which is your preferred way of buying? Like, clothed or unclothed? I think the preferred way of buying is if somebody who knows what you are after a dealer I mean, offers you very specific things um, I think okay, that, that's so they, okay so it's very very personalised I think my least favourite way of buying things is and I've bought very little for myself at art fairs 
I just think it's a it's it, it, that's shopping. That's not collecting. That's something else. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And it makes. I I, I mean you know the, the, you said earlier on oh the, we've known each other thirty years and things have changed. Um, I think what has changed is that it has become extremely commodified what we are doing. So if if the art fair is the main mechanism at which art is sold, that tells you something how how much things have changed. You know, in the past you would very much try to have a one-to-one relationship with a buyer. You would, you know, you would ask very specific questions from people who came and wanted to buy from you. Like, why do you want to do that? Now you just walk up to the stand and say, "Is that available? How much?" And that was the. That's usually the end of it. Yeah, so it's much more like a commodity. It's much more now. transactional. It's much more like a commodity. Yes. Yeah. Um, and people don't even pretend to ask the questions like who you are anymore or no, what your they don't. what your plans no. are or no. So it's mo- much more about it just being traded. It's a it's a it's a it's a pure transaction. And galleries, on the whole, have accepted that now. Mostly, I mean, you know, the, every gallery, of course, has an artist that is uh, so desirable that they will still have to ask the question. But on the whole, you know, they would rather not ask the questions because it gets in the way of things. I mean, you know, if you if you spend a lot of money being at an art fair, you don't want to jeopardize things by asking. Embarrassing questions from potential purchasers. No, you talk your way out of yeah. buying in, exactly, in the yeah. first place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the change. Um, so, so the, the the direct transaction with the person that actually knows what you are after uh, uh, is the best. And then you know, running through an art fair uh, is sort of the least favorite. And you also have a lot of pressure at an art fair, you know, because. You might see something. You might want to think about it. You might, you might talk to want to talk to somebody about is this a good idea? You might want somebody else to have a look at it, and that you can't do. You know, there is a, there's a real pressure. I mean, it's, it's all very front loaded. You know, there's an opening. The important people get in first. They graze around, and they have to be quick. Otherwise, um, the whole thing would just grind to a halt. Okay. Uh, if you were an artist, what kind of work do you think you would make? Or you, have you I've ever always avoided you have I any always, never, never. I've always avoided that, like the plague. I think that uh, that is such a brave business to be in. Um, I could never, I could never deal with the pressure. Among the list of questions we gave Michael and Carsten was this: Does knowing the artist alter the way you see their work? Here's Carsten's response. Yes, it does, because you have a different... You get a sort of studio perspective on things. You know, you're, you're becoming part of the process, and you see things as they happen, which I think is a very... That's quite a privileged position to be in. So, yes, the answer is absolutely it changes Yeah, things. you can discuss it as well. You yep. can discuss the form of it... Um... Yeah, you can see. It I also makes you, know. you. It makes you. Dirt, it makes you nervous in a in a uh, in a different in a, in a way because you um, 
you got an suddenly you got an emotional investment in the whole thing as well. You know, you are very close to a person that is sticking their neck out very publicly. And yeah, and, that, and that's uh, like you say, because an art fair, what you don't see in art fairs on the whole are artists or or the artist studio, or what they do, or how they create, or you know where they're coming from. You literally see the thing, the, the, the object. Thing. Whatever you it the, is, you see, you see the yeah, yeah, you see the end result. You don't necessarily see. And I know a lot. Of, a lot of collectors say they don't want to meet the artist for that reason. You know, they don't want to lose that sort of. Um, what do you want to call it? It gives you a certain detachment, you know, and it um, it allows you to. Um, it allows you to move on without any pain. But yeah. I think on the whole, you know, artists probably, uh, the, the people who are long-standing friends and supporters, uh, I think they're the ones who matter most. Mm. Don't you think? Yeah, and it's that kind of, that, you know, that kind of thing you've created over a number of years, isn't yeah. it? It's not something that's happened overnight. Um, and that's why I think about how you introduce, trying to introduce new people into it. That's always, or like new forms that, you know, obviously occur, you know, a whole, you know, whatever happens within the art world and, the, and that kind of, and the cycle, like what happens, you know, what occurs and, and whether one can realise what one is looking at, you know, whether you have that similar kind of connection to something of, from your own generation to it, something that, you know, that is much more recent. I think you... I think the, what happens is when you are in your 20s and 30s, you are quite open to what goes on around you. That's very much your scene, your, your sort of moment. And in a way, sort of as you go along, you reach capacity. You know, you... you you get your fill of things, and there there are things you feel very uh, engaged with and very loyal towards, and very there are your your own time. And then as you move on, I think you either well you you kind of stick to that. That becomes your um, that becomes your measuring standard. And then there comes a point, you know. I mean, I'm now fifty seven. And I occasionally see a show somewhere of somebody in their late twenties, and and I just don't feel particularly engaged. I feel well. Um, Would you see that as as um, that as your issue as opposed to the work's issue? Is that is that? No, I think it's 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 a it's a sort of. It's a general... It, it's what happens. You just... You can't carry on, you know, being fully engaged with one thing and then uh, carry on forever. I mean, you know, there are certain collectors in their 60s and 70s and they still go to every... Um, and you think, guys, you need to sort of just relax a little. Because we're going to be out of business with that, actually. <laughs> Um, so, so that's my feeling about that. And but, but also, like now, they talk about young people, like not wanting to own, not wanting to cut. They just into experiences, like I Instagram and stuff like that. People, that's what kind of I've been told now. Young people aren't really like 
So, you know, aren't interested in picking up the mantle from their parents or whatever in, in collecting, that they're much more interested in experiences. That doesn't really account for that strange thing when you when you suddenly you just you just you you just sort of grow up with your own people and and you you sort of should you you should stick to them and stick to what they have done yeah. rather than moving on to the next i mean there was a weird moment about four or five years ago you know where everybody wanted the hottest young contemporary thing and that's Past. Now they all, okay. Yeah, now they all want historic things. So Yeah, it changes change the cycle it changes, changes yes. doesn't it? Yeah. Because I was thinking about your dinosaur eggs, like once they were like on plinths or whatever, and then they and then you demoted them to uh doorstops. Well they are very boring objects, I tell you, because they are not they are not that works of art. My art. They're not works of art, they are just um dinosaur eggs. Dinosaur eggs. But was there a real vogue for dinosaur eggs at one point? Well, I thought it was very interesting for about six weeks, and I got. <laughs> okay, so we won't talk about the heads. Do you want to talk about the heads? Yeah, you've got these ginormous heads in your front room that I'm always saying rude things about, like when you're going to get rid of them and. Well, where did you, you get that from? There are two Roman, the are two Roman heads in the flat. In this, that those who are rude about. It, not rude, um, truthful. Truthful. <laughs> um, well, one is the really big one. The really big one you've had the really for... ugly one. Yeah. That was a, a very strange... Um, so that fits into the strand of, you know, antiquities and... It's Roman, it's 3rd century, and it's, um, it used to belong to David Sylvester. It was his favourite possession. Was it? Yeah. And when David died, there was an auction of his collection, and there was a dinner at Sotheby's, and um, I sat next to Howard Hodgkin, and we had the usual sort of slightly drunken conversation about what one would like to take away from this. And I was seated opposite this big head and I had I had cropped this already in the in the in the private view and um I thought this is a real this is an amazing thing. I mean it's 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 beautiful and ugly at the same time. And uh I, I, I uh, Howard said something about, you know, he wanted some bit of Indian fabric or whatever else he was after at that point. And I said, well, you know, I'm buying one of his old master prints because I like David and um, that would be fine. And he said, and he said well, you know, that's, that's nothing. Um, if you were really ambitious, what would you do? And I said, well, if I was really ambitious, I would buy that hair. And he said, I think you should. And um, I said, well, you know, that's a lot of money. And he said, oh, I think, you know, um, on your right is that Sotheby's finance man. You should just talk to him. <laughs> so I talked to him, and that's how, I, that's how I got it. And apparently, every, anyone who was friends with David remembers going to the house in Notting Hill 
and David was endlessly rearranging his stuff. Apart from that head, because you can't the, move that head. No, the head was it's always heavy. the head was always the first thing that would be because he was he was recurating his home. All oh, the but time. that would always stay. Yeah, and everybody was. has. I mean, you know, from Nick's Rota down remembers having to oh, really? okay. lug this thing all over the place. It's heavy. It's about twenty, thirty kilos. And very hard to handle, and that was the one. And it's it's been in my sitting room, well, nearly twenty years now, and it's, it hasn't moved much because I don't redecorate every five minutes. That was Carsten Schubert and Michael Landy. The art newspaper sends its condolences to Carsten's friends and family. Special thanks on this episode to Michael Landy, to Anna Brady and to Gareth Harris. The Art Newspaper Podcast is produced by Julie Mahouska, Amy Dawson and David Clack, and David does the editing. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with another Top of the Pods very soon. Bye for now. The Art Newspaper Podcast is brought to you in association with Bonhams, auctioneers since 1793. To find out more, visit bonhams.com now.